My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. When I was asked by a magazine publisher who and what, in my opinion, made the most important contributions to sea angling during the 20th century, I didn't even have to pause to think. It was a complete no-brainer. Two men working together on one linked innovation very clearly stood out head and shoulders above the rest, that being the technique of uptide fishing and its inventors, Essex anglers John Rawl and Bob Cox. As important now as it was when it first hit the boat angling scene in the 1970s, it completely revolutionised a whole sector of boat fishing back then, generating and now supporting a complete arm of the sea fishing tackle industry as well as being responsible for putting countless numbers of extra fish into many boats, not only in this country, but all around the world where shallow water fish-rich situations exist. Casting and anchoring baits away from the scur area of a noisy boat wallowing about with a party of anglers on board in shallow water seems so obvious now. But as those who fish the technique on a regular basis will know only too well, it isn't quite as simple as that. Tackle, leads, rigs and the successful converting of bites into fish all had to be thought through thoroughly to get us to where we are today. Keen to know what all the early fuss was about, I actually went down to Bradwell shortly after the first purpose-built rods were made available through an innovative new tackle company set up by Cox and Rawl and was given the full lowdown on the subject by none other than John Rawl himself. And from that day to this, I have never once been back. So, to kick things off, I'd like to go back to that visit, and even further to those early days of yourself and Bob fishing the Thames estuary, before the embryonic concept of uptide fishing was conceived, hopefully for you to outline the course of events which led up to this initial idea. It sort of come started in the late 60s, early 70s. I was running a bike business out of a fishing tackle shop in Leon C, and um, one of our customers was a, a local angling journalist, Bob Cox. Cut a long story short, we become mates and started fishing together quite a bit. Mainly off the shore, fishing for bass, cod, skate, things like that. Around in, in the local rivers, Blackwater, Crouch, and some uh, one or two places in the Thames. Every now and again we got the, uh, the availability to jump on a boat. Sometimes we was fishing together, sometimes we was independent. But then I got, I, I got my own little boat, a little 18 footer, out from South End. And we started fishing more on the boats once I got that. But I suppose when uptiding actually sort of really started, Bob met a skipper over in, um, in Brabalon Sea over here, a chap called Arthur Whitesell, and we started fishing with Arthur on a regular basis, mainly as crew, because he was a charter boat, but he, he had a big foredeck on this boat, which is ideal, sort of one or the other of us would go, not, you know, fairly regular, I'd go once or twice a week, Bob would go once or twice a week, and uh, we started fishing with Arthur, fishing the, you know, the, the waters around here of, of Probably an average depth of 20, 30 feet. Some of it a lot shallower than that, but some of it a lot deeper than that as well. But an average depth of 20, 30 feet. But when we first started with Arthur, a lot of the places we were fishing, we were fishing for bass and skate and that up on the sands in 10, 12 feet of water. Because we were stuck up the front of the boat, we had to do something different than people were down the back, which was basically we just adapted our um, sort of beach fishing knowledge off the boat. And it worked. After a few months of regularly going, it soon became very apparent that we was catching three, four, five times as many fish as anyone else. Some of this we put down to, I say, not blowing our own trumpet, but perhaps being better anglers than uh, your average charter boat punter. 
that's not being big Eddie but the fact that we were fortunate enough to be able to go a lot we had the availability of unlimited fresh bait also the knowledge of being going regular that makes you sort of a better angler on that particular patch but it still denied the fact that we were getting four or five times as many fish as anyone else we didn't really realise why but it was no you know we noted it and we spoke about it and then again to cut a long story short I got the offer of running a charter boat out of Wallasey for a chap called Vince Ferguson one of our customers in the shop which obviously I accepted as a sort of fishing fanatic and um, very young and enthusiastic I jumped at it once we got hold of a, a 32 foot aquastyle with twin engines it was the world was our oyster it was sort of a dream come true really and then again same thing we we started, were taking parties out and obviously I was out every day with the boat and Bob come along on a regular basis and again we started catching you know it's sort of we were catching a lot more fish than anyone else again some of it is down to being fortunate enough to be fishing a lot every day and but it become noticeable it, even with sort of relatively good anglers on board we were still out fishing them sort of, sort of four or five fish to one and then you know we started to think why it just sort of slowly evolved it wasn't as if it was having all of a sudden a penny dropped that hang on why, why are we catching more fish doing this why doing that and then all of a sudden a few reasons started to click into place and then it wasn't until our customers started to copy what we were doing that we realised how effective it could be most people are fairly quick to learn if they think about their fishing and they, they get a bunch of guys come with us we catch a bunch of fish up the front of the boat casting a lead away from the boat with a grapnel next time they come they do the same and, and copy us and then all of a sudden we started get sort of landing some phenomenal catches especially cod and it was as a lot of our customers started fishing the techniques that we were using that our catches increased and then again the penny dropped again i thought hang on we're onto something here some of it was again we sort of just thinking that oh perhaps we're better fishermen than what they are but then when you start getting good anglers come onto the boat and you're out fishing them five fish to one, then you realise you're onto something. And probably one of the turning points for me anyway was um, had a crowd of, at the time, very well-known angling journalists on board from the old angling magazine. And um, on this particular day, I don't think Bob was with us on this particular day. He, he was on other day, a lot of a lot of the other days. I think we had 16 or 17 double-figure cold, and I think I had 11 or 12 of them, including sort of two over 20 and I thought, hang on a minute, these guys are sort of top anglers around the UK, yeah, come on and catch this lot, and they can't, you know. And they took notice of it, then they started coming on a regular basis with us and doing the same thing, and it sort of evolved from there. And that's probably 72, 73, 74, 1975, when during that era, we figured out how and why it worked the scare area around the boat, the fish moving down tide, avoiding the area of the boat. Also, the one of the main things is, is it's a great leveller, whereas conventional boat fishing, you've got three or four guys across the stern of the boat being able to trot their leads down tide, um, assuming they know what they're doing and can do it properly. They're, they're fishing fairly efficiently, but the poor buggers above them are having to use heavier gear to keep their, their tackle clearer there clear of theirs and then the chaps forward of them having to use even heavier tackle you're only actually fishing an area perhaps 10 yards by the the width of the boat which is 10 12 feet that's the actual area that he was covering with eight or ten blokes just eight or ten guys just conventionally just dropping a lead over the side like the old style boat fishing way 
Whereas what we were doing, we were covering 15 to 30 yards either side of the boat and up the front and out the back. You're covering a much, much bigger area of seabed was, was one of the main reasons. And also, in those days, it, and it's, I'm still chartering now and I still see it every day, is that a lot of guys, you take them out there, they just throw a rod over the side, half of mine on the bottom, so they're not going to catch anything. But it was without tidying. Once you done, once you sort of figured out how to do it properly, and get your lead, everyone was holding bottom. All eight, you know, there was eight of you on the boat. Finding it was all done reasonably well. You are holding bottom. Your bait's anchored down there, and everybody on the boat is fishing efficiently. Not just the three or four guys across the stern of the boat. Mm. And that's another one of the reasons it, it works. Looking back to those early days when you probably weren't sure just exactly either what you had or was still developing. How have things changed in terms of your approach from then through to now? No doubt what today might seem simple and obvious when you see it as a complete finished package must have taken a lot of refinement to get it to where it is today. As you've already said, it didn't just all happen at once. How then does today's uptide fishing compare to the trial and error of those pioneering days? Oh, we fine-tuned it, Phil, a lot. Nowadays, it, we've, it's much more, we've got it much, much more efficient now. Um, your lines are thinner we've got specially designed rods for it rather than using cut down beach casters or carp rods which we were using in the old old days you've got more efficient lead systems now uh, everything is much much more efficient what we have learned is that you need for, for people always ask me the best place to fish on the boat and that depends on the tide now certainly I can't speak for other areas but for around here and from what I've heard from a lot of my colleagues and friends that fish other parts of the, the country, south coast, east coast, west coast, wherever, the front half of the boat fishes much better when the fish are moving, when the fish are moving down tide, i.e. on stronger tides or if the fish are moving along a patch of ground or they're moving from A to B. It depends what situation and where the boat's anchored as to what the fish are doing. But if the fish are moving down tide, then you will probably get more fish up the front half of the boat because that's the first that's the first area that the fish are going to intercept your baits. Also, this they are going to go round the boat. They they definitely go round. The boat creates a scare area. You've got the anchor, the chain, the rope, the noise of the boat bouncing back towards the bottom off of the surface, the wave slap, all that noise. That creates a scare area that they definitely categorically go round. And as they're going round it, it concentrates on either side. Now, if you've got an even spread of fish moving along, a football pitch from one end to the other, which is a football pitch approximately 100 yards by 50, if you put a 30-yard band down, that, down the middle of that football pitch and pushed all the traffic down each side, down each wing, it's concentrating those fish to either side of the boat. So instead of just fishing on a piece of ground that you perhaps get one fish come past every 15 minutes, you might be getting four fish come past every 15 minutes because you're concentrating on either side of the boat. That only applies in areas where the fish are moving. On the slacker tides and on the neeper tides around here, when there is too much run, yeah, the fish still do come past the boat, but they're, coming past, they're not coming past so fast or so regular. Then the best areas to fish is the back half of the boat. Not necessarily the back of the boat, but the back half of the boat. Because what kicks into effect then is, rather than the fish going round the front of the boat, creating and creating a you know, the scare area and bumping into the front baits burst, what happens when you've got weaker ties round here is that the fish 
tend to move up from the back of the boat because they are attracted by the scent of all the baits being fished off of the boat. And again, if, that, if everyone's casting out the side, say 15, 20 yards, you create an area off the back corner of either side of the boat, 15, 20 yards off of, off of each side, and about 20, 25, 30 yards behind the back of the boat. You tend to generate two, two feeding areas there. That, that's on the smaller tides it works like that. The actual middle of the back of the boat is often, is a, you don't get a bite there because the fish are concentrated off each corner because that's where the scent is all finishing up and it's drawing those fish up to those scent, those the areas of scent. On the bigger tides, on the, on the harder running tides, the fish tend to be moving faster and you don't get that effect so much. You don't, you don't get that scent effect because possibly the extra strong tide, stronger run, is taking it too far away. So that you, but you're, you're in, that's, that's when the front half of the boat fish is better, when you're intercepting fish that are coming past the boat. Have you made any scurry area observations regarding fish movements around the boat, particularly in terms of distance off relative to increasing water depth? It works very, very well up to sort of 80, 90 feet. Over that, if, you, if you've got a very weak tide, you can, you can still do it. But if you've got a, a, a sort of a fairly strong tide, once you get over 80, 90 foot, it ceases to have lose effect, because, probably because the scare area isn't so noticeable for the fish. You're not concentrating the, so, perhaps so many fish either side of the boat because not so many are scared off of it. Also, in 80 or 90 feet, you've got to be able to cast a long way sometimes with a big lead in strong tides. It, it's, it's nowhere near so efficient. It has got its limitations. But I'd say up to a sort of 80, 90 feet, providing you can cast reasonably far. You haven't got to cast miles, 30, 40, 50 yards with an efficient lead and relatively thin sort of line. Then... No problem. I, you know, it, it will it will outfish just dropping over the side. But don't just think that you've got to cast miles out the side or miles up tide. In any, in, in, you know, you vary it to what the tide's doing. If it's a weak tide, you're probably better off casting out the side towards the back, 45 degrees off the back corner, or straight out the side. If it's running hard, cast up tide next to the anchor rope to 45 degrees up tide. You have to vary it. But that depends on conditions on the day, strength of tide, type of fish you're fishing for. One of the early problems, if you can call it that, was that a lot of boat skippers, for whatever reason, and probably because they didn't either fully appreciate or understand the approach, would not allow casting from their boats, arguing that it was either dangerous or in some cases even unnecessary. How do you respond to that? Well, I've got comments on it, yeah, a lot of them buried their head in the sand. But, in the wrong hands... Potentially, it could be dangerous. I've been skippering now for 39 years, and I've never had a bad accident on the boat. I've had one or two people sort of perhaps flick a hat over the side or potentially create a dangerous situation, but that's going to happen with, with fishing anyway. You know, it was uneducated anglers not thinking about what they was doing was the, was the initial problem with that. And I can see potentially, yes, there is potential dangers. But now, a lot of the clubs and the groups that, that, that fish regularly in areas where uptiding is, is good, they either hang their bait on the lead wires or insist on people casting from outside the boat so the problem doesn't exist. It's only when people don't think about what they're doing that there's a problem. And that can happen with any form of fishing. 
You know, I know an awful lot of skippers that have had a two-pound boat lid dropped on their head. When people knock their reel out of gear, when he's trying to unhook a fish or undo a tangle for them, I bet that happens as many times as someone getting caught with a lead or a grap, you know, with, a, with a hook through casting. Well, I've never seen an accident yet on a boat, or even an EMS, and these days, most shallow water skippers actually encourage rather than discourage anglers to get their baits well away from the scur area. Yeah, well, they want to ca- catch fish. Absolutely. Yeah, they want to catch fish, and any of them that... You know, sort of ban it through the safety issues. I blame them because they're not controlling the situation in which they're operating in. If I see someone doing something that I think is potentially dangerous, I'll step in and stop them or advise them how to do it safely. That's part of the guy's job. If he doesn't do it, he's not doing his job properly. Do you think then that perhaps rod length had some part to play in making casting from a crowded boat either more or less dangerous, in that with a longer rod you can hang the lead further over the side? But if you tried to cast the same rod from inside the boat's fishing well, it could potentially threaten the bigger area. Um, it was potentially more dangerous in the earlier days because there wasn't custom-built rods made for uptiding. Virtually everything that was used was a cut-down beach cast or a cut-down carp rod, a pier rod, or people were trying to adapt to a different method using tackle that wasn't really designed for it. Now you've got actual custom-made, you know, you've got a massive range of custom-made tackle that is especially designed for uptiding. I just want to sort of quantify that a little bit. Everyone calls it uptiding, but effectively it's not, it's boat casting. Because you don't necessarily cast uptide, you cast out the sides, you cast out the back, you cast off the back corners. Sometimes you cast uptide, but it's achieved that, it, it, it sort of got given, it got labelled uptiding in the early days. But it isn't just uptiding, it's boat casting. So what then is the ideal length for an uptiding rod? Or would that differ from, say, a small boat to a large boat? It depends how far you've got a cast fill. Off a charter boat, I'd say 9 foot, 16 foot. Off a, off a dinghy, 8 foot is plenty long enough. Yeah, I'm not too keen on the longer rods. None of mine are more than around 9 feet maximum. Yeah, it's long enough. It depends on your own abilities at casting as well, like... If you can cast, you can cast with pretty. You can you can do it efficiently with pretty much everything. If you can't cast, then you probably can't do it with the best custom made kit in the world. But that's down to individual ability. But no, for for, for a smaller boat, seven eight foot is plenty. You can cast more than fair enough with that to get get away from the scare area and also cover a bigger area of ground. Off a charter boat where you're mixing with other anglers, you don't know where you're going to be on the boat necessarily. You need the ability to perhaps cast a bit further, so I'll sail a slightly longer rod off a charter boat. Let's say, for example, that a party of anglers charter the boat that have never done uptiding or boat casting before. What would be your advice over the phone in the build-up to the trip in terms of ensuring they bring the best casting combination with them on the day? I'd advise them to bring something that can cast between 6 and 8 ounces either a fixed ball or a multiplier I've got no particular preferences in the early days most of the fixed balls I'm talking the early days I'm talking 60s and 70s there was one or two beach fishing fixed balls that were robust enough but most of them were just worn up to it that's changed now there's a lot of very very good fixed ball reels now that are perfectly adequate something that's capable of casting between 5 and 8 ounces 20 pound line 25, yeah, some, some people use 20, 20, 25, but I think 20 pound line's fine for most. With a fairly light tip, they aren't too heavy a tip, too heavy a tip. Every time the boat rocks, if the tip doesn't give, it keeps pinging your lead out the bottom, which you know, makes the method you know, is, is nowhere near so efficient. 
It's also not for good for bite indication, and also you're likely to bounce off lightly up fish as well. Presumably then, that's why fiberglass is grafted to the last foot or so of all uptied rods, including branded graphite blanks. That's for the flexibility, carbon's too stiff. The carbon's too stiff right the way through to the tip. That's where most of the modern rods use a carbon glass mix in the tip, or, or actually or actual just glass. It's more flexible when it's stronger in the smaller diameters than carbon. And what about terminal rigs? But I'll be honest with you, Phil, you can eliminate, you know, you, you, rig-wise, you can just keep, make, you can make, keep it as simple as you like. For 90% of up-tiding, boat-casting, whatever you want to call it, just a simple, straightforward running ledger is all you need. You don't need booms, any other sort of the associated junk on there. You just need basically a link swivel, a bead and a swivel, and then your trace, dependent on what you're fishing for, Obviously, spats a slightly heavier trace for thornbacks, smooth hounds, things like that. A lighter trace for bass. It just depends what you're fishing for. But rig-wise, if I was fishing for skate, bass, smooth hounds, 40 or 50 pound clear mono with a sort of a 3.0 or 5.0 hook, depending on what sort of what bait you're using. Just a simple running ledger. You don't need anything else. You don't need any of these sort of technical rigs. They're just not necessary. Keep it simple. What are your thoughts then on self-hooking rigs? Effectively, it's pretty much self-hooking anyway because the fish pulls against the grapnel weight that's buried in the bottom if, if, if you've set it fairly well. And they prick themselves in the first place anyway. You can exaggerate that by using a fixed lead. The trouble with a fixed lead is that in strong tides they work really well. On weak tides, when the fish perhaps aren't feeding quite so aggressively, you don't necessarily know if it is a fishy sort of mouthing your bait and giving it a tug and then letting go. Whereas with a running ledge, you may see a few little knocks and pulls that gives you some sort of indication that you can maybe alter your rig or alter your bait presentation and do something about it. Whereas with a fixed lead, you don't know. It's either on there or it's not. It either nails itself or it, it misses. I like the option of knowing roughly what's going on. So you've got the party all sorted out in terms of rods, reels and terminal rigs. But as I said earlier, this crew has never done any uptiding before. Now you need to explain to them about the casting, letting the lead free fall to the bottom, forming a belly in the line, and most important of all, when they get a bite, how to successfully deal with it. Start with the casting. If you're anywhere near the back of the boat, something a lot of people seem reluctant to do on the boat is actually move to get himself into a more comfortable position to cast. Firstly, once you're baited up, ready to go, if you're up the side of the boat and you're actually go, you've got a sort of other cast from within the boat, you're probably better hanging your, your bait actually on the lead wire so that it's suspended. That way it's not floating around loose. It gives you a shorter drop, to, which is much easier to deal with with your casting. It's also a lot safer. You've only got one element to look at, i.e. the lead with the bait attached to it, rather the two elements, the bait dangling separate from the lead. But the best advice I can give to anybody on that is get yourself in a position where you can cast comfortably, or if it means moving down towards the back of the boat, hanging your bait over the stern or your lead over the stern and cast from there, do it. If you're at the side of the boat, let people know what you're doing. Let them know your intentions. Let them know that you're going to cast. That way they'll avoid you. Don't just dangle it in the boat and blast it out because that is going to cause problems. Let people know so that they're aware of what you're doing. But initially, get yourself in a position where you can cast comfortably and safely. 
once you cast, just as a, again, it, it depends on how deep the water is, how strong the tide is. There's loads of ifs and buts that I can't answer. You have to fathom this out on the day. But just as a ballpark, if you aim sort of 45 degrees up tide, cast, let your lead hit the surface, feather it down to the bottom, let the, feel the lead hit, then wait. Feed your line out. You have to wait a little bit for the tide to pick up the bow in your line. Don't just stop it at that because it goes slack and you think it's on the bottom. Just as a ballpark figure, and again, it is a starting point. If you've cast 45 degrees up tide, feed your line out till y your line is approximately 45 degrees down tide, so that you've got like a 90 degree angle between your rod tip, i.e. you, and your lead. That will let enough line lay across the bottom before it starts rise up to the surface in your rod tip to, to lay that lead and hold those lead wires gripping tightly into the bottom. If you don't let that much out, it's putting too much strain on the on the grip of the leads. Whereas it's likely the tide is likely to rip about the bottom and it will go bouncing off down tide. But just roughly forty five degrees upside, forty five degrees downside, and then you work that angle wherever you are on the boat. Like if you're off the back and you cast it straight across the tide, like ninety degrees to the boat, let your line out sort of level with the, the, to the same line as the boat. I work on about the ninety degree angle. If you're right at the front, if you cast right up next to the anchor rope, again, let your line out sort of parallel with the size of the boat, which gives you that 90-degree angle again. But that's, uh, that's not cast in stone. On a weaker tide, you can get away with a little bit less than that, but on a stronger tide, you might have to let out a little bit more. And how should they react when the bike comes along? When the bike comes along, it depends what it does. If you're fairly sure that it's on there, it's got your bait, several things can happen. The reason several things can happen is because it depends how good a grip your lead has got on the bottom. If it's only just holding, then if as soon as a fish grabs a bait, it can effectively move your lead down tight, which will give you a slack line bite. You'll see your rod tip perhaps nod once or twice, and then it will start to bounce backwards, as if the lead's not holding. All you do in that situation is just pick the rod up, and there's no, there's no point in striking because you've got a great big bow of line out there. Remember, you've, you've let line out, so that it's approximately 90 degrees from your lead. You've got a huge great bow out there. It's the point is striking. Just pick your rod up, point your rod down the angle the line is entering the water so that you're in effectively in a straight line and just reel fairly fast. Don't do it slowly. Don't go crazy. Just a, a sort of a reasonably steady, fast pace. Reel in. Keep reeling, 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 reeling. Once you, as you start to take the slack out of the line, you'll start to feel the weight of the fish and the lead. Again, don't stop. Just keep on winding. Keep reeling. And as the weight of the fish increases, as you're starting to tighten the line right up, and, and, and you know, you've taken all the, you're taking all the slack out, keep on reeling until you literally sort of wind him on there. And you, you'll know when to stop. You, you know when you can't go anymore. I mean, you've literally wound and wound and wound and wound and wound, and you, you are locked into it. It's virtually solid. When you get to that state, then just smoothly and fairly firmly lift the rod up. You haven't got a strike. You know, the, you can effectively reel the fish on there, take all the slack out of the line. You've semi-hooked him. All you've got to do to finish that off is just keep on winding. As you feel it lock up into the fish, just firmly lift the rod, and that should be it, job done. And then just, you know, react accordingly to what the fish does. Sometimes they don't pull the lead out. If you're on particular sort of clayey ground or hard ground, sometimes the lead doesn't come out or the fish isn't big enough to pull the lead out, but sometimes it'll just tap at it. And in that case, you basically your reaction is exactly the same. Wind until you've taken all the slack out of the line, wind into the fish, and then lift into it. 
Earlier, we touched on outfit choice. Can we now look in a little more detail at specific items from that outfit? With rods, for example, we talked about graphite blanks with blended or grafted fiberglass tips. But what, in your opinion, would make a suitable reel to partner it up with? My personal choice is a multiplier feel, because I've always used them, I can get on well with them, I, I just like the smoothness, the niceties of using them. That's my personal choice. There's loads of good ones on the market. Most of the abos are pretty good, most of the pens are pretty good. Shimano's, Diawas, they're, they're, all, they're all very good. I, yeah, that's, like I say, my portion is, is a medium size, either a 6 or a 7,000 size multiplier. Something that's capable of holding 200, 250 yards, 300 yards of 18 to 20 pound line with a reasonably light spool that's easy to cast. Make sure it's got a decent drag for sort of any sort of big fish you like to hook that are going to take off. But now, as against uh, in the early years, there, there's lots of very, very good fixed spools. Um, not necessarily the, the full blown beach size ones, but the in between size ones like the Pen SS's, 650s, 750s. Again, Daiwa, Shimano, all do fixed balls that are perfectly adequate for uptiding and, and, and they are just as, just as effective, just as good. And what would you prefer to see loaded onto it? I don't like braid for uptiding. Braid has got its uses. The diameter thing is a, very, is, a, is a good thing. But one of the reasons you need to let a big bow line out to aid for the lead the whole bottom and also is to allow for the movement of the boat where you've got the boat jumping up and down. It acts as a shock absorber which mono does perfectly well because it's got an element of stretch in it. Braid hasn't. For wrapped hiding, definitely, categorically, mono is better than braid. What about lead choice? I'm not thinking so much about size, which is dependent on conditions, but what about design? Things like length of tail wire, size and positioning of nose wires, and the types of grip. For really strong tides, you want a tail-wired fixed lead. You want the wires coming out of the nose, possibly on, on a three or a four inch drop before they turn out 90 degrees and then turn the end up. For strong tides, you want a fixed tail wire. For medium sized tides, either the big long stem breakaways or the standard Geminis are equally as good. For weak tides, just the standard breakaway is plenty good enough. When we uptied the Mersey, there are times when only a long tail 12 ounce lead with eight fixed wires four facing in each direction to ensure it grips whichever way up it lands will give you any real chance of success. Yeah, but again, that's the case. Yeah, so you've adapted to what you need to do to make it work. Here, we haven't got tides like that. Probably here. There's a few of our deeper areas and areas where we've got stronger tides where we have to use 8-ounce fixed wires. Most of it we can cope with a 6 or a 7-ounce, or in modern language, sort of 170 or a 190 gram German oil breakaway but you have to adapt accordingly I know further up the coast here at last off the Yarmouth they're using 8, 10 out, 12 ounce, even 14 ounce fixed wire grapnels but even that is better than using a 2 pound bomb lid just dropped off the back of the boat with that that's the other alternative What I'd like to discuss with you now are more recent variations or even adaptations on the uptiding theme such as doing it on the drift and uptide perking what are your take on these? I went to Norway this year for the first time and uptight perking, certainly I see the advantages of that. You can use a much lighter perk and also you can fish it much more efficiently for longer. 
without letting too much line out. So I've seen the advantages of that myself. Um, I know that's been done quite a bit by anglers at fishing areas where it's, it, that, that sort of fishing is done. Around here we don't do any of that because our water's a bit like sort of um, oxtail soup. So we don't have clear water where sort of lure fishing works very well. But areas where lures are used a lot, I know uptide perking it greatly increases the time that you're fishing efficiently on on any one drift or in a strong tide but when we when i was in norway this year we was getting away with six and eight ounce perks whereas the guys drifting out drifting away from the boat on drift we're having to use a pound and a half to get down to the bottom so you can effectively half the weight and then we were catching more fish we did that when I was there to combat the line assuming an excessive angle by the time the perk had reached the bottom, which effectively increases the amount of jigging time you get out of each individual drop. But what I was thinking about when I asked the question was a trip I did off Dunbar in Scotland, fishing in around 35 feet of water over heavy ground on the drift for cod. One chap on the boat was casting very light homemade perks way down tide and slowly tweaking them back. As you'd expect, he lost quite a few but he was getting first crack at the fish that the rest of us were drifting down onto, and as such had far more cod than anybody else on the boat. We fish like that a lot in America, Phil. We're using um, baited jig heads, unbaited jigs, lures, and that's the way we fish on the drift over there, so that you cover the fish, you're actually fishing for the fish before the boat or anyone else gets to them, so that you're fishing for them before they get spooked or scared. That reminds me, actually, that I wanted to mention uptide fishing in various other locations around the world. I've tried it in all sorts of places where conditions have been suitable, and although the names and the shapes of fish may change, the receptiveness by pretty much all of them to the baits being placed well beyond the scur area seems to be universal. Anywhere where you're able to do it efficiently, it works. There's three main reasons. I... It's more efficient because you can fish effectively with slightly lighter tackle for a start. B, you're covering a lot more ground than you are conventionally. And C, in an anchoring situation, not when drifting, obviously you're concentrating the fish either side of the boat. with you. You're utilising the scare area rather than it being a disadvantage. Another reason why I feel that uptide fishing is so popular is that it not only allows but actively encourages people to fish much lighter than might otherwise be the case and get more enjoyment from individual fish as a result. Because it most certainly wasn't that way when I first came into boat fishing. I'm not talking here about the ridiculous light tackle lengths that some people go to just to say they've done it, but sensible, sporting, balanced tackle. Oh yeah, it's... I've been guiding in America now for the last 16 years and I've fished in the Florida Keys and I've been fairly fortunate that it's probably one of the sort of top sort of sport fishing destinations in the world and the big advantage you've got over there is that you can fish for fish without being inhibited by the tackle you've got to use to fight the conditions. And that might seem a little bit double dutch but over here to catch sort of a five pound cod out of 60 foot of water You've probably got to use a 6 or an 8 ounce lead, 20 pound line, and a rod that's capable of casting. You're fighting the elements. In a lot of other areas around the world, you haven't got to fight the elements. All you've got to do is fight the fish. And it's amazing how, how big a fish you can land on lighter gear. And if you can alleviate the problem of having to fight conditions, you can use much lighter tackle and get more fun out of the fish. Uptiding has certainly come a long way from those early days of casting off the front of the boat back in the 1970s to the point where a whole arm of the fishing tackle industry now seems to be geared up solely to the technique. Surely you couldn't have envisaged that level of success when you first started developing it. 
it sort of evolved and a lot of the things that sort of Bob and I were both sort of we we're both sort of thinking anglers we worked out sort of between us why it worked um, and then evolved it from there maybe it'll just carry on evolving do you think that people have wrung everything they can out of it yet or is there still more to come no there's still more to come you're learning all the time so I've been doing this nearly 40 years now Phil and I'm still learning every year I still learn every year about how to be how to get be more efficient at what I do out here. I've I've improved my fishing in the UK a lot more since I've been fishing in America. I've learned different techniques and different tactics and different methods over there that I've brought back over to the UK, which I've adapted to here. Um, I've also learned a lot about fish because over there you've got the advantage of clear water and you can watch fish's behaviour how they react to you doing X, Y, Z. And once you can see that reaction, you can then adapt what you do to how to catch them. The only difference is here, you're not dealing with the same species of fish, but fish are fish are fish the world over. They've got the same natural instincts, they've got the same feeding instincts, they feed by scent, sight. You can't see them here. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to behave much differently. The advantage you've got here is that you've got possibly more coloured water, slightly deeper water, which alleviates some of the caution that they've got in the clear, shallow waters of the tropics. But there's a couple of things I have learned, is sometimes how long they actually take to start to feed. Whereas in, 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 over in the States, you can see the things, you've got them swimming all around the boat, but you can't catch them. And all of a sudden, after a certain period of time, they'll suddenly switch on. Now, as over here, in the past, with several, several species of fish and several instances, I would have probably upbanked and moved. Now, quite often, I stay put purposely because I know that if I'm confident in my position in the boat and the tide and the conditions, that those fish are down there. I know sooner or later they probably will come on and feed. And have you any other potentially useful snippets that you brought back to the UK from your American experiences? The use of tackle mainly a lot of the time is that you can, over here, everybody pretty much overguns the fish with the tackle they use. You can use much, much lighter tackle for the size of fish that we catch in this country. And with modern lines, modern rods, modern reels, you can you can fish much, much lighter. For your average UK sea fish, you know, you read some of the old books on cod fishing, they said, oh, you needed a 30 or a 50-pound class boat rod, 30-pound line minimum, sort of a two-pound lead, for catching fish that probably average between sort of three and 10 pound. Yeah, a lot of my guys now for, you know, the smaller cod and cod, and they're using 12-pound class boat rods, 15-pound line, three-ounce leads, you can cut down by half the power of the gear you need to actually land these fish. One of the key points for me to come out of this chat is the degree of blame associated with creating a scur area that must go to the anchor and its rope. It's logical really when you think about it because it's the first thing fish moving down the tide are going to encounter. So most will have already started moving offline either to the left or to the right before they reach the boat. With that in mind, is there anything that could be done in the form of improved anchoring techniques that might reduce that effect? Or, as you said earlier, is it desirable to have a scare area to concentrate the fish up either side of the boat so that they can be more easily exploited? I think all the time you need chain. Because here we, we, got fairly, we haven't got horrendously strong tides. But I wouldn't hold bottom in my boat unless I had two or three or four fathom of 5-8 chain on there attached to the anchor. Plus the fact 99% of charter boats now are fiberglass and you can't get away from that drumming effect. I think it's a combination of a few things. It's the, it's the rope, the chain, the boat bouncing up and down, the noise effect, the drumming of the boat. 
another thing that people forget as well is that when you see well quite often in any sort of depth of water if you've got a wreck on the bottom or a rock on the bottom or a sandbank or a ridge it causes a disturbance on the surface when the tide's running over it by the, the water being displaced being thrown up a boat anchored in the water especially in shallow waters is exactly the same effect going the other way you don't necessarily get quite the same sort of displacement but you get something it's an unnatural phenomenon that fishes inbuilt caution will pick up and they're going to be wary of it. So having spent the past 40 years or so observing anglers, good, bad or otherwise, what in your considered opinion are the biggest factors affecting success rates that could be quite easily remedied? One of always been a charter skipper is that you can often sort of sit back and watch 8 or 10 guys fishing and you can see what works and what doesn't work and who's catching, who's not catching, who could improve this, who could improve that, who's definitely not going to catch anything. Obviously, it's my job to advise and help, and, but some people will, some people won't. You know, you're always going to get that element. But one of the biggest factors that I think contributes to how many fish an individual or a party of anglers will catch a lot of the time is how often they change their bait. Most of the time, I say, I'm not speaking for every area, so I'm talking about our area and other areas where you've got fairly coloured water. Those fish feed purely by sink. Any sort of, any fish bait, any worm bait, any crab bait, squid, anything like that has only got a limited lifespan of when it's giving off an attractive amount of scent. The second it hits the water, it's releasing its scent. And probably after 15 minutes in a strong tide, most of it is washed out. Unless a fish actually bumps into that bait after it's washed out, it's not going to find it. Whereas it's leaking scent, it's got a much better chance of being found. All of my most successful parties all change their bait regular. Even if it's just topping it up, anything, just keep that fresh scent going all the time. A, you'll catch more fish, you'll also pull more fish into the area. You know, there's so many guys just wind in, look at their bait, see it's still on you, and throw it out again. You might as well chuck a bare hook out there most of the time, because that, that bait's all washed out, it's gone. Unless a fish actually bumps into it on its nose, it's not going to find it. And that applies to any bait, any of the fish baits, squid, any of the worm baits, crab, change it regular, 15-20 minutes top whack. Taking that to its logical conclusion then, what are your thoughts regarding online swim feeders as a means of increasing bait scent output? They can't do any harm a lot of the time, providing you know, these artificial swim feeds, providing they don't impede the cast or our water resistance, which, again, is a, depends how efficiently are in relation to the lead. Like some of the ones that actually built into the lead look quite good. I've seen a few of those. Now, they look okay because they're not going to impede your casting. And, yeah, they, they should help. They should help quite a lot. And what about paint-on or spray-on chemical concoctions, which in the manufacturer's words, enhance the pulling power of a bait by many orders of magnitude? I'm probably going to be the tackle, the tackle industry's worst enemy, because personally I think most of them are a load of crap. They're designed to catch the angler rather than the fish. You cannot beat fresh bait changed regularly. People using bloody WD-40 and stuff like that. I, I just cannot see it. But, um, that's personal a lot of the time. I've not personally seen one that works yet. Certainly one that doesn't work any better than fresh bait. My thanks then to John, not only for talking us through the history and basics of uptiding, but for candidly throwing in a wide selection of other points to ponder, some of which I have to say, such as the positioning of anglers around the boat, because I'm a small boat angler, I was blissfully unaware of. And finally, I'll see you in another 35 years. Hopefully. Hopefully.